Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. The podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Hees. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we are here to become better habitat managers. I'll say that again, guys. We are here to become better habitat managers. Since day one in 2018, that's what we're doing. I appreciate all of you for coming back for a great episode of the Habitat Podcast. We have my good friends, Brian Hall Blythe, co-host of the Habitat Podcast, Al Tomechko, the HP Soil Guy, Vitalized Seed, and my good friend, Sam Carroza out of Illinois. We're kind of, you know, these guys have been on before. They're kind of our, our group of Habitat nerds and, and buddies that we all caught up on and chat with day-to-day basis. You know, we all met on the QDMA forum way back when. Um, and we just have kept in touch for years. So what we're talking about today is a season update, hunting season update. <laughs> and spoiler alert, Al shot a hog. Um, you hear about that in the story here. And uh, Brian and I, we both got some arrows bloody so far. Sam is on his way to uh, getting something tagged with some very nice deer, um, you know, trail cam picture showing so far. So great episode. We dive into a bunch of different habitat topics as well. Um, shoot. We talk about hunting pressure. We talk about food plots. Talk about hunting your own hunt. Multiple, multiple conversations and, and you know, over an hour here of just great deer hunting deer camp bonfire style conversation with three of my really good buddies so thank you guys for coming back to the habitat podcast we truly appreciate it now i hope you guys are getting out in the woods getting some hunting done um like i say in the podcast if you're having some success or have any questions you know hit us up send us a message on instagram facebook you can email us info at habitatpodcast.com you have any questions on on what you could be doing right now or or any hunting questions hit us up you know we'd love the feedback we love the discussion with the listeners um we talk to people every single day via facebook uh you know instagram dms youtube emails phone calls chats we just love being i don't know love having this community that we've created over the last years with you know last five six years with you guys the listenership um the best listenership there is out there i am fully convinced of that for a podcast 
And it's just awesome being able to connect with you guys and and chat, you know, learn, uh, get feedback. You know, we had two of our land plan clients. Um, we had a uh, Mike out of Ohio shot a twenty point buck two zero. Uh, recently, we had Ty out of Kentucky, one of our very first clients. He's been whacking and stacking a bunch of them over the years. His daughter shot a gigantic nine point in Kentucky, twenty five acres. Uh, you're going to be hearing more about that stuff coming up soon, but this is the stuff that, that keeps us living and breathing on a day-to-day basis. Um, you know, for anybody that that runs a podcast or maybe a similar venture, even your own business, whatever it could be, it's not all daisies and flowers all the time. It's, it's a lot of work. Sick, tired, doesn't matter. You got to get the show out. So it's cool, and this it's definitely the passion that helps keep us going You know, through that is hearing from you guys, the feedback from you guys. Um, Matter of fact, I get a bunch more reviews this week. Decals are shipping out. Uh, first one here from a five-star review from Coach CDH. Great podcast. Just like talking hunting and land improvement with your friends. That's pretty much what we're doing. I mean, like I said, it's probably where kind of I got this idea. We're just talking as friends. Uh, that's kind of how we like to have our, our interviews, our conversations. Um, there's another one from, from Brewhouse42. Very informative and relatable to the average hunter. I like hearing stories and strategies that I can actually use year to year on my property. Great job. Thanks, Brewhouse42. Thanks, Coach CDH. Really appreciate those five-star reviews. I will have decals coming your way. Um, loved if any of you guys have not received a decal yet, I have been getting some emails at info at habitatpodcast.com with your address. I know I've said it before. I'll say it again. iTunes does not show me your name. It just shows me like a random username. So I, I, I don't know who you are. I can sometimes find that via Facebook, et cetera, but... Um, it's kind of hard. Here's a great review. The most recent review a couple days ago from leather five to one five-star review. Thanks for keeping the egos out of it. I discovered the podcast after finding vitalize. I was always very disinterested in podcasts. This is the only one I've ever been able to stay focused on. I have to give it to the host and the co-host. They balance everything well and keep it entertaining. I backtracked and listened to the gamut. A true test of the value is being able to listen to hundreds of hours consecutively. Thank you, gentlemen. And if I ever bump into you guys, the beer's on me. Leather 5 to 1, thank you so much for that awesome review. Um, multiple things there, right? Like 300 plus hours of free habitat information. Keeping the egos out of it. That's my number one thing. I mean, I, I love it. So I just appreciate you listeners. Thanks for the great reviews. More decals coming out. We have great episodes coming up. This is episode number 246. And we're not going to slow down. Um, we have some good stuff coming, and I just want to get to it. We have a brand new partner I want to mention in the show coming up, too. We have the rut kicking off, pre-rut, maybe you'd call it, kicking off here the 20th of October. I can't believe it's already three weeks into October. And um, then you're going to hear all about our season so far. And, guys, we're not even in the good stuff yet. So kick back, crack a brewski, fire up a coffee, whatever your like is. We have a great episode here with Sam, Al, Brian and myself good luck to everybody out there this weekend hopefully you can take a thing or two from this episode put it into play just like our old game plan episodes get something killed and let us know hashtag better habitat managers this is brought to you by tagged out seed products guys rich hickson my friend from southern ohio owner of tagged out seed products is here to help i know a lot of folks from michigan indiana pennsylvania west virginia virginia kentucky all hunt ohio southern ohio there's some giants down there. I've been hunting down there for years. So is Brian. Um, guys, Rich 
is here to help if you hunt in that area. Rich is a dealer for 360 hunting blinds, some of the best blinds I've ever been a part of and seen. He offers professional installation of these blinds if you'd like. He'll also do designing and planning food plots, establishing bedding areas, establishing screening access, anything you want, you know, trail cutting, unwanted vegetation control, invasives. He's kind of the guy on the ground for you. You know, here at Habitat Podcast, we design a lot of land plants. We design them. We offer our expertise and give you the map to success. Rich is the next step. Rich will put it into play for you if you need the help, if you're not around, if you'd like some additional expertise. You know, he'll he'll bring these plans to life for us, for you. Out-of-state landowners, um, feeder filling, trail camera adjustments, whatever you need. He's like, he's like a property manager. Um, he also supplies a lot of large volume feeders where legal. Uh, he can also help you with any sort of hunting advice that you might need. He's veteran owned. He's a veteran. Single dad, two kids, loves the outdoors. And I just, I'm friends with him on Facebook. Uh, I just, I love his moral, where his moral compass is at and and his outlook on things. And um, he's been in business three years now, serving landowners in Southern Ohio, Northern West Virginia, Northern Kentucky, and Western Pennsylvania. Guys, check him out on Facebook and Instagram at Tagged Out Seed Products. That's the at symbol, Tagged Out Seed Products. Check him out, Rich Hickson with Tagged Out Seed Products, new partner of the Habitat Podcast. Wait, he just sent him via camera, via text? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I sent him to the group just now, talking about our buddy Dave Ham here, sending us some trail camera pics. We'll get him on one of these days again. He yeah, he had to He had to make a move. Design. Yeah, yeah. I get that. I'm, I'm, I'll be out tomorrow morning for that same reason. Nice. Yeah, those are nice deer. Very nice deer. I, I don't know, that first one especially. Um, That's a heck of a pass. Yeah, I can't really tell what's tying and what's the grass behind it on that right side it looks solid though for shoot for pa for sure too especially because that's not even the main place he hunts right i mean he's set up at least as in ohio this is just his extra spot right yeah that's the family camp yep right how far is that camp from you guys oh it's about an hour and a half i think no that ain't bad no no it's a nice spot that's kind of where the the real pretty mountains start up north about an hour and a half from here. And he's he's right on the cusp of that. And just north of him is where uh, I'd go muzzleloader hunting at my buddy Roger's camp, which is up in the Allegheny National Forest, kind of where Steve Shirk is. Okay. He gets all those pictures of monsters up there. I saw Roger. Was it Roger or was it uh, a different guy who was asking about you coming up to another camp here pretty soon on Facebook the other day? When you posted our, our camp pictures. Oh, yeah. That was my friend Roy. He also is up by Roger in Tyanesta. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I usually pop in and see him when I'm up that way. Is that kind of your guys' is up north, if you will? Part of it. Yeah, for a lot of guys, um, Tyanesta was real popular back in the day for deer camps. A lot of people from Pittsburgh up there, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, boys, I appreciate you hopping on. I figure we'll give us a little season update here for the listeners. I know we've all been out um al you're going last just fyi so uh <laughs> sorry to make you away but uh we, we don't want to end on a on a on a sam note where no tags have been filled yet so <laughs> sam why don't, why don't you start us off buddy we got we, we're mid-october i don't know by the time this launches it'll be the 20th yeah launch on friday 
So yeah, it's going quick, going quick, man. It's going quick. And I feel like I haven't even got started yet. I feel like I've been living vicariously through you guys for a month and a half now, almost with Brian, what a month since Brian started. But, uh, yeah, I've only been out to the farm for one day so far. Um, so not much to report on my end as far as tags punched or, uh, you know, any great tree stand stories, but I'm excited about this weekend. We have my nephew coming in and it's the first time he's going to have a bow in his hand. So he's going to be ready to go for a uh, doe or whatever walks by here. So we're excited to see that. But um, so I'll be with him in the morning, two mornings, and then my dad's going to take him out in the evening. So um, it'll be a fun time, but that's basically what we've been looking forward to for a little bit. It just we had a hard time getting off off the ground here this year. That first opening weekend was 80 degrees. Um, so we decided to sit out that weekend and it opened on a Sunday as well. So, you know, with farm being two and a half, two, two forty five from my house, just hard to get out there for one day or one sit or whatever it is. So uh, we went the following weekend. We saw a whole bunch of deer. We, we sat over some beautiful food plots and uh, had a great time for two sits, but no shooter showed up. Um, you know, they're on camera. There's there's a handful of bucks that we're looking to shoot, but so far, nothing super consistent. But um, We'll see. It's early yet. We're going to uh, hit it hard here for the every weekend till Thanksgiving or let, unless we're uh, tagged out. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, been listening to you guys, checking in with you guys. You've been putting me to shame. What do you guys got? About 10 deer down between the three of you sitting in front of me here? Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> but yeah, some arrows have been released. <laughs> with the remaining guys on on the call. By the way, the Sam Carroza, Illinois. Yeah. Um, got some beautiful, beautiful vitalized pictures with some nice bucks walking through it. And every time you send pictures, I'm like, what am I doing buying land in Michigan again? And now, <laughs> trust me, I love it here. I love yeah. how hard it is to kill these deer. And and Brian was here, you know, a week and a half ago. He saw how beautiful this place is, and, and I love it here. But man, some of those deer you got just yeah. There's some great deer out there, and uh, and. You know, getting back to the, the vitalized plots, I, I Brian makes fun of me because I was complaining all year about the drought and how I couldn't get my plots out. <laughs> it and was legitimate, but we had to have fun. With you. Yeah, yeah. Was, I mean, the drought during the spring was brutal. My, it was my bad. spring plots were zero; they they didn't amount to anything. And then I planted the uh, carbon load before a rain in mid August, and and the rain dissipated. And then it sat there for two weeks with no rain. And then I got a little sprinkle and then two more weeks would go by and I'm sitting there watching my cameras over dirt plots and freaking out. Um, and then all of a sudden in September, we must've got a couple of timely rains that were bigger than I thought they were. And uh, by the time October rolled around, it's, it's beautiful. Six to eight inch brassicas. And uh, I sat over the, the evening that I did sit, I sat over an acre and a half of food plot. There's an acre of vitalized carbon load in front of me in a long strip. And then out in the distance, there was a mixture of rye and, and uh, oats. So it made for a really cool picture. You know, it looked beautiful, green carpets. And uh, I saw 40 to 50 deer that night. It was unbelievable. I I got to the the stand and there was eight deer out in the field already. So I, I was sitting in the brush for, I don't know, 15 minutes waiting for them to clear out. And there was still four or five deer about 100 yards away when I climbed into the blind. Um, and it just didn't stop until dark. So it was a pretty unbelievable set. But um, had a couple two and a half year old eight pointers come out and they were sparring and rattling and, you know, making, making a whole bunch of ruckus and, uh, they were scraping and stuff. So it was a good start to the season, but big boys didn't show up. So is what it is, you know, it's like I said, it's very early. So we're still excited. So did, did anybody send you that little, um, the little tiny violin? 
emoji for every time you were complaining about <laughs> I, think, about I think Brian did a couple times. Yeah. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. He's getting on my case, but you know. No, I felt bad for you, but Al was just sitting back all calm. You know, he's like, I know what this stuff's gonna do as soon as it gets a little bit of heavy dew and a couple of rains on it, you'll be okay, Sam. And then boom. Yeah. All of a sudden, you started sending us some beautiful food plot pictures, and it, it felt like it happened to see it for sure. And uh, you know, I was jealous of you guys. You guys were saying you had too much rain in what June and July and August, right when you guys were getting started. And then you guys hit, got hit with the drought in Ohio too. But I was watching all these storms coming across the Midwest, and then they would just sweep right around my uh, central Illinois area and hit everywhere else. It was hitting me at home, just wasn't hitting me at the farm. But eventually, it did. So it all turned out all right. Yeah, we had that. We planted and got like four inches of rain. Like it was like over a short period of time. It was like four or six inches of rain in like three days. Yeah. So actually, it was one of those situations. I was texting Brian. I'm like, thank goodness we had done no-till because there's zero. I mean, it was so bad that they were closing roads. Like creeks were coming over roads. And so I'm like, if we hadn't like done no-till, our plots would have we had basically had washed 20 acres of seed into the Ohio river. Like there's no way. And, uh, we ended up then after that, not getting rain for like less than a two tenths of an inch over like 60 days. It was brutal, but somehow, um, we got some pretty good looking plots after we started to get some rain. And and honestly, like next week, we're going to have a couple days into like, I think it was looking like 65 or 70. Like those plots will green up. Of course, I mean, November's coming. It'll be 75, 80. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't worry. Because <laughs> you're rotation start, Brian. That's when it's going to kick off. Huh? Yeah. Yep. So they'll definitely be greening up. So yeah, Sam, tell us about uh some of these shooters you got. What what's your list looking like and what's what's your goals for moving forward here? Well, you want to bring out my tiny violin one more time for me, Jared. Um <laughs> You know, coming off of last year where I where I killed Uno, where it was, you know, my my journey for three years to kill him, it was really kind of hard to get excited to shoot one of these deer and uh, figure out which one I was going to get obsessed with and everything. And I still haven't quite got there yet. I mean, there's a, the number one hit list buck is a nine pointer. That's probably mid one fifties with just really long tines, uh, nice brow tines. We've been chasing him. We've known of him for three years, I suppose, but he's renowned for just being super inconsistent. He'll show up once every two weeks on one camera, once every week on another camp. You know, he's all over the place. And so there's one that field that I sat over that first night. Um, the reason my dad sat there Friday and I sat there Saturday was because he daylighted for the first time at 630 on uh, Thursday. So we thought we were going to be in the chips with, with that cold front coming that first good weekend, the 7th or 8th. You know, that's that's a weekend a lot of good deer died, and uh, I guess we were just 24 hours too late there. Unless we got in there and we we boogered him out of there, you know, on the way in or something like that. You never know. Um, but then it took him a week to come back to that camera after that. So nothing real consistent with him. Um, we have a couple six-year-olds that are not too impressive with their headgear. You know, it would barely break 120. And I know, Al, you've got some of those at your your farm as well that we were talking about that need to be shot. Um you know, those guys are on the hit list for Eli as well. So we're my, my nephew. So hopefully we get a crack at him. Um, and then we've got some four-year-olds that are beautiful deer. They're also becoming less and less consistent as we go along in the season. During the uh, summer, it seemed like they were feeding out in the alfalfa at three o'clock in the afternoon till dark for all summer. And now they're, they're getting trickier, of course, like they always do. But, um, you know, I'd love to kill those older deer. 
before and let the four-year-olds go to go to five you know i know i I don't think i'm strong enough to really pass them but they're nice 150 inch 140 inch deer but uh those are the deer that have a lot of potential and could really grow into something special so we will see i kind of hope i don't see those deer to be honest with you but so yeah that's that's the hit list i mean there's uh there's plenty out there you know and it's i'm finding it a pattern now where it's funny how a buck will show up every every night for a week and then he'll disappear for two weeks and then he'll show up again for a week and he'll disappear for two weeks. It's like, what do they do? You know? And I'm, I still haven't figured that part out, but um, we got to catch one of those deer on their, their weeks on the camera, I guess, instead of chasing them, you know, week, week too late, but I don't know. That's what makes it fun too. So. Yeah. I, I wish I could add more, more color to that comment about what do they do? You know, I know some guys are talking about, they go on circuits or, or whatever, where they go, you know, every third day they're here or or even a little bit different they're here for three days or four days like you're saying and they're on again to the next one right um all i know is you gotta strike when the iron's hot here, right here where i'm from so well, you know there's so much there's so much agriculture around us too i feel like every couple of days there's fields getting harvested and that's changing their patterns we just got through the uh you know the acorn craze of course and uh i think they're just hopping around on different patterns and kind of bumping around depending on who's hunting where and yada yada but boy it feels like we don't even put much pressure on them and it's still they jump around like crazy so it's hard to get them pinned down but we'll keep trying how are the scrapes looking by you are you got any cameras on scrapes are they getting hit i do and uh we have one camera on a on a scrape that's every year is tore up and of course i've only checked them that camera on the 8th of october so that's 10 days ago now but that that scrape started opening up in mid-September pretty hard. So that was getting hammered pretty good. Um, and again, you know, new deer in that little section compared to 300 yards away. It's just odd how they stay in their own little territories. And, and it's the same deer that were there last year. So they are predictable. Um, so that, that scrape was working really well. Like I said, I saw some scrape in the night I was out. And then I have that tree koi up that has the... Uh, oak branch on one side and the the hanging hemp rope on the other side and that's getting hit they don't come and rake that branch or that that rope too much they come out you know and all scent check it and take a look at it and sometimes they're rubbing their face but um i was telling you guys it's it's been an interesting experiment having both this the rope and the branch right next to each other i feel like that that branch is getting hit 10 times more than the rope you know so um that's something to learn from at least yeah yeah, that's, that's I think it's all depends on on where you're at too. I think sometimes some of those lower pressure deer will will maybe hit a rope more so. But I know when I hang a rope here, it doesn't work like some of the YouTube videos you see, right? So I tend yeah. to go for that that oak branch. And Brian, I've been recommending that to our our land plan clients for a long time. But I'm glad to hear that it's kind of working the same for you. Honestly, um, I'm sure you know. Well, you know, I've some nice HD pictures be coming soon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the past, I've just hung the rope up and put a camera over it and it's getting hit. It gets hit, but it doesn't get tore up like crazy. But it's interesting to have both options right next to each other. And you can tell tell that they definitely are hitting these the, the branch harder. So what I did this year was on that post, I took a adjustable flagpole holder and whittled down an oak branch to fit in there. And uh, it's been working like a charm. You could put it right at nose level and... Um, and it, it's been awesome. So worked out really well. Look at you, Boy Scout. I love it. I, again, it's one of the things I wish I could take credit for, but that is Jeff Lindsay on a YouTube video <laughs> telling me that. But I just, like I said before, I just regurgitate everything I hear. I'm not, I'm not an original guy. You know? <laughs> well, you got to start eating some little Debbie's now, and then you'll just, you know, you'll be 
part of the crew. Cosmic brownies. That's mine. Yes, sir. How about your dad? Is, is he uh, after a certain bucket all on the farm? Is he? No, I mean, he, he did the same. Relaxed? He's he's the same thing. He only hunted. Um, actually, he hunted two afternoons. So he was after our big nine on that Friday night. And then Saturday night, he tried a new spot that we uh, put. Actually, we put a blind up in a new spot that he was dead set on hunting. And I kind of rolled my eyes and said, it's not going to be all that great. And um, he said, I want to try it. I want to see what's going on over there. And sure enough, he had a 10 pointer, actually he had a 10 pointer chasing four does into the tiny little food plot. You know, I don't know if they were chasing hard, but he was nudging them at the time. And uh, at, at first, my dad was ready to grab his phone to take a picture of it. And then he got closer. He's like, oh, shoot, I need to be shooting this deer. And by then he had the four does were about 18 yards away from him. They picked him off as he was getting his bow up. Uh, ready to shoot and they'd snorted off and ran off like crazy and the, the buck didn't really know what was going on but i think it was out there 40 or 50 yards and uh um just kind of walked off real relaxed so uh it was a little excitement i mean we we don't know which 10 pointer that was um you know i get back to the cabin and show him every 10 pointer that's ever lived on our farm and he's i don't know it's one of those <laughs> i don't know it's hard to say so, it's always fun with him, but yeah, he'll be out there this weekend. And, uh, and like I said, we're excited for Eli. That's the goal of this weekend is to get him a shot. So awesome. Well, I wish poor, him a lot. Poor, poor kid has been on the sidelines for the last two years hunting with me. And I made the rule. I don't know about you guys, but when I, when I was younger, the rule was 45 pounds before you can go out and shoot yourself. And now they've got it lowered down to 30 pounds. And mm -hmm. I see him shooting 30 pounds. This was two years ago. And I'm like, I don't know if that's going to kill a deer. You know, I mean, it's pretty weak. I mean, of course, technology's advanced and all that stuff. And so I said, Eli, I hate to say it, buddy, but we got to get up to 40 pounds. And so he worked his butt off. And I feel like this year he really became more of a man at what, 12 years old or 13 years old or whatever. But his shoe, his feet got huge and he just got big. So he was able to pull back 40 pounds, no problem. And so. We'll see what happens. Awesome. That's good stuff. Yeah. All right. Enough about me. I'm I'm the boring one. Let's get on to you boys. Wow, that's that's great, man. Good luck to Eli. And and yeah, I don't really have anything to say about the the poundage. I haven't gotten there yet, but that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I think Ohio's I think in Ohio, Brian might know, I think you have to be 45 pounds. I think it's state regulated. Um but that's most kids most kids are doing crossbows, you know, until they're pulling. Uh, I don't know what those mission crazes go down to. They probably start at like 40, 45, something like that. Um, but I'm not sure. But yeah, I think Ohio, it says in the book, it has to be at least 40 or 45 pounds. Um, for Yeah, I'm trying to look anybody. it up now because a lot of states have been changing that. Well, yeah, I'm sure like Sam said, they, the technology and broadheads and everything has changed so much that maybe they, you know, figure you can, if you hit them in the right spot with 35 or 40, you can punch it in there. But uh yeah. I think most kids in Ohio, prob I, if I had to bet, I would say most kids are shooting a crossbow until they're 16, and then they make the switch over to to combat yeah. if they if they want to to There's go. There's nothing route. wrong with that. I, yeah, I don't I don't really mind that. You know what I mean? Just get them some good experiences under their belt first before <laughs> before dragging them through the mud and all the stuff we like to go through with a regular yeah. boat, right? Yeah, learn the anatomy, you know, aiming yeah. points, like all that, how to track a deer, how does a deer react to getting hit, like, you know, and some of that's going to be different, but, you know, even a compound, it's it's hard to, you know, it's hard to get, I, I remember the first few years hunting, like, it's really hard to understand, it's not like television where you just, you know, that's all B-roll, right, how they're drawn and stuff, like, when you're actually trying to draw on, a, on an animal, it's, um, 
it's a big learning experience, you know? So I, I give Eli a lot of credit. That's, that's, um, that's awesome. If he's going to be starting with a compound. Yeah. I mean, I commend him too. And more so it came from his parents who didn't want, they felt like a crossbow is more dangerous for him sitting in a, in a blind and uh, they're not hunters. They don't yeah. want, really want him shooting guns yet. Um, they just feel like he's got a lot of maturing to do before he gets to that point. Um, so they, they told him, you're going to start with a compound. He goes, all right, sounds good. Let's do it. But I told him, you know, I want to emphasize to him this weekend that it took me a half dozen screw ups before I hit my first Dauphin when I was 14. Oh, years yeah. I mean, it, it took me three years before I got a shot off. It took, yep. you know, I, I missed my first year by three feet and shot in front of it, you know? So I'm, I'm trying to really lower the expectations because uh, I'm sure he's going to have some trials and tribulations before he's successful. Which but, is important. Yeah, for sure. But who knows? He may go out and stick one on the first shot and surprise <laughs> us all. So. <laughs> we'll see. Well, I know we always recommend to, you know, shoot deer, get deer under your belt, shoot more deer, right? And uh, I think that's what Brian's been doing since uh, Pennsylvania Open this year. Is, is there some term where we can't we can't call him Mr. Lady Killer or we can call him Mr. Lady Killer? <laughs> Just don't call me late for dinner. Okay, okay. We'll be all right there. I saw it in the text. I'm like, did I, did I miss something? Is he not like that nickname? No, it's whatever, man. It's trying to do my part, you know. Real quick, Al, before I forget, I looked it up. It's 40 pounds for Ohio. 40, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Michigan's 30, FYI. Yep. So. Yeah, wow. I know I know a lot of states have been lowering it. but uh, So that's a good point to for people to check your state regs because right there you got two states touching each other with total, a 10-pound difference. So that's significant, you know. Yeah. Yep. So uh, like Sam said, I started about a month and two days ago. Uh, September 16th, we opened in PA. Um, for those who haven't been following our stories and posts and all that stuff, uh, I help out some landowners just north of me in the north suburbs of Pittsburgh. They've got a pretty serious deer problem. So uh, Bob and Dave and Chris and I try to go up there and a bunch of our other friends to try to control the population. So yeah, started laying some does down pretty early. Um, I think we shot, goodness, I think Bob had six or seven in the first week. I had a couple of down. Uh, Dave got a couple and then we just started steamrolling from there and uh, went to Michigan. You and I had a really good time at the Deer Hunter podcast, Northern Michigan Deer Camp. Met a lot of bunch of great guys, caught up with some old friends. Uh, four deer total. Uh, I think Kevin squeaked one out after we pulled out that day. So yeah. the Habitat podcast boys got 50% of the the <laughs> deer on the pole. So that was pretty cool. And uh, beautiful country. Uh, I got to see the Northern 70. Uh, Jared's doing great things up there. The loggers just happened to be coming there that day. And I kind of got an idea of you know, what his plan is going to be. I'm looking forward to seeing how that all unfolds. Beautiful cabin. That view is spectacular, man. That's like something out of a postcard um i you and your family are going to have a lot of a lot of good memories up there for sure um yeah and we did a lot of running around we took a, a riding lawnmower to to deer camp which got a lot of press it's gonna probably be on a lot of videos and stuff coming out with the latitude guys uh, jared needed a riding mower for the northern 70 to cut the grass at camp so my father-in-law moved to florida and he was trying to get rid of one cheap so i i Threw that in the back of the pickup, along with all my hunting gear, and we kind of had some fun with it at deer camp. And uh, now, now you don't have to push cut the grass up at camp. No, dude, and thank you again for for bringing that. I'm it's downpouring rain. I'm cruising up twenty three, probably probably seventy five at this point, up by Flint. And there's this this maroon 
Chevy with this big mower just in the back, just, just downpouring <laughs> this hillbilly with a mower coming through. And I'm like, there he is. There's Brian. I caught him. I was going like 85 trying to catch him up there. And I, I got up to him. I got my phone out and videotaping him. And uh, yeah, the, the mower was funny because we get to we get to the campsite up at up at the um, that northern Michigan deer camp. And it's all what? I don't know, 12, 18 inch type, not quite grass, but just some some bushy stuff and we're joking about mowing we'll we get the mower out we fire this thing up next thing you know everybody in camp's like hey can i borrow that let me let me get that over here for my campsite and this and that so what ended up being uh kind of a hillbilly joke was probably the star of the show with brian there and uh and then yeah we we had a good time man we we buzzed up and i wish i would have got to show you more of the 70 um and we'll do we'll do that again you still have a, a buck tag for this yeah show. definitely so Hopefully we can get you back up there in November or something or or whenever. That'd be that'd be pretty cool. But um yeah, yeah. it was really cool growing up idolizing Fred Bear and and driving past Grayling and and thinking about all that stuff. And I, you know, just just all the history there. And and to hear all those guys at camp, how entrenched they are in the deer hunting history of Michigan. It reminded me of all the camps that I went to in northern PA when I was a kid. And it's nice to bring all those feelings back, you know, especially my dad's been gone nine years now. And it's just fun to get around a bunch of guys that really appreciate that old school mentality of just guys getting together at deer camp and just having a blast. What was, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I asked you if there was any, you know, similarities between Northern PA and, and Northern Michigan in terms of camp and, and the scenery. And you said there were some for sure. And, uh, I was listening to, uh, Kevin's podcast and, and Jordan was on there from Michigan Outdoors. He was up there along with Latitude Guys, G5 Outdoors, um, Stealth Outdoors, Michigan Gone Wild, a, bu a bunch of serious as they get deer hunters. But what was cool is we're all kind of within a few years of each other in age. So you get this many guys all this serious, all about the same age, camping and bonfire and some beers. Man, the 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 atmosphere couldn't have been higher energy i don't think um i'd agree it, it was wild i mean i don't recommend sleeping in a tent in northern michigan anymore in uh <laughs> in october but we we had a blast um my first night i whacked a doe the first night let her lay overnight because the arrow didn't look very good and uh, that was the right but it ended up being a good shot in a short track so but like we always say when in doubt it's better to give them a little bit more time yep Yep. And, and then, uh, night number two, we made a play, went a little bit further from camp. Um, got Brian on a clear cut, a three-year-old clear cut, big Aspen cut. And he, he had a doe down in the cut before I even got set up in my tree. So that worked out perfect. And, and like you said, out of 15, 20 guys, we had two of the, the four deer on the pole and Kevin shot the other two. So hmm. I say we, uh, I'm, I'm proud of how we did. Read the read the yeah. scene, made the right moves, and I was gonna say for rolling in there, and in two nights back to back, we picked spots on the map, talked about it, made a plan, and we each put each other on deer. So worked yeah. out amazing. Yeah, it was. It wasn't like I was doing this and and Brian was doing that. The first night it, we were driving and driving and driving and we're just bouncing ideas off each other. And finally, we can't. We're getting towards the end of the night. Like we better pick something. And and Brian found a an island out in the swamp and there's two points that were kind of coming out into the swamp so we each picked a point and that's when i was i found that lone oak out there dropping and i, I harvested my deer and then the next night you know our plan again both of us working two different 
areas with some fresh clear cuts and uh yeah we were we were in them i think uh it's not very easy up there so it's not it's, it's pretty difficult it. yeah, yeah all that all that country to try to get in bow range of any deer was was a feat and and that proves it like jared said with all those guys in camp and it's just it's not it's tough and uh you know you got to get lucky al mentions that all the time there's a lot of truth to that you got to be in the right spot at the right time but i think we did a good job of taking our knowledge and things from that we've learned in the past and you know put it into effect up there and, and capitalized on it yeah i think when you have the the eyes of a habitat manager like like we do us for here and most of our listenership is for sure you know you, i think you see things sometimes through a different lens um maybe not totally different but enough to where you know yeah. we're enough to where it's like all right well maybe just like subconsciously you just you're making decisions that maybe we wouldn't if we didn't talk about habitat every week for the last six years right so yeah, well, yeah. And little things like picking up um tips from our our guests and things like mike perry he says try to take what you're good at and try to replicate that in other places so when we started talking about that clear cut that you suggested i started thinking about how i hunted those in the past back home and the deer behavior that i've seen and i kind of put that into place and said well the wind's blowing this way out of this corner let's set up here and see if this works like it does back home because like we always say deer are deer and it worked out mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's just like a lot of the principles are the same, right? I mean, it just, you might not have done the habitat work because it's public ground, but you're right. still trying to figure, okay, where are they betting? You know, where, what, what's the terrain like? Okay, I got a clear cut. They're probably betting in there and eating in there. There's some oaks, you know, in this area is, okay, now let's look at terrain. Are there any funnel points? Is there a spot where I can get on a high point where, you know, the wind's going to hit me and it's going to blow away from that clear cut. And I'm going to be have the vantage point of any of that funnel coming out of that clear cut. Like, you know, you might not have implemented that clear cut or or planted that oak tree or, you know, if that was your property, maybe that'd be a food plot they'd be working to. But I think a lot of the ideas are are generally the same, um, you know, in, in trying to get on deer, whether it's um, in PA or flatland or, you know, it all it all varies right a little bit. But the general principles are somewhat the same, and I'm sure that helps you guys out a lot. And to add to what you guys said, I mean, first of all, I commend you guys for going into a spot sight unseen and uh, being so successful right off the bat with hang and hunt. And I mean, that's something that's so far out of my wheelhouse and my comfort zone that I give you mad props for that one. But um, to go off of what Brian said, too, you know, you guys sent me that aerial of uh, I think it was where Jared shot his buck or his, his doe, I'm sorry. And it was an island in a swamp that was leading up to two ridges, betting points with some oak flats. And it just, it seemed like a Dan infault set to a T, you know, and I, mm -hmm. I, that's one of your guys' guests. And uh, for you guys to be able to take a little bit from each guest, like you said, and and apply that and make it into a successful hunt, that was cool to see, you know. So, I, I mean, I know you guys knew that before you had Dan infault on, but um, it was just, a, it was just a, a setup to, to the T of, of dan so yeah it's a good point yeah we're not afraid to give credit where credit's due you know yeah. we're, we're not out here inventing and coining things right we're just we are um i think that's why people like to hire us for the land plans is because we have a different mindset we don't just walk in there and say this is how jared does it every time my way no i i have about I don't know, 245 episodes worth of information that may kind of funnel a certain way or certain this and that. I think it makes it a little bit more diverse, a little bit more interesting. 
Uh, so to your point, Sam, like, again, we, we were a little intimidated. Like there's a lot of ground up there, a lot of elk sign, you know, not a lot of buck rubs or scrapes. Um, but it's cool. What I liked, what I, one of my goals was to really hone in my saddle setup and my mobile setup. I want to be able to like have the same pack on no matter where I'm hunting and walk in and walk out, quit transferring this to this bag and this to this saddle and this to this stand. I'm done with that. Same pack every time. If I don't need my climbing sticks because I'm in a tree stand, leave them at the bottom of the tree or in the truck, whatever. But um, I tell you what, the first night it took me like an hour to set up, just screwing things up. You know, next night it was better. Next night for that it was even better. And then I did Sunday this last weekend even better. So that was kind of one of my goals too, is just to knock the rest off, you know, shoot a deer, get some stuff going, get ready for the upcoming, you know, late October. Right. Um, and, and I think Brian and I, we checked those boxes. Guys, I want to tell you a little bit about my friends over at Morse Nursery. I've been planting Morse Nursery trees from their nursery here in Michigan since I've been doing habitat work on the 15 acres. Uh, right before I sold the 15, I had my apple trees budding and dropping apples. I had my chestnut trees dropping chestnuts, my crabs, the pears. Guys, Morse Nursery has been around for a very long time. Charlie Morse used to run the show, and man, their, their tree stock is unbelievable. Um, MorseNursery.com, fall is the time to place your orders for the spring. Whether you want chestnuts, persimmon, apple trees, pears, oak trees, or any tree and shrub, protection you know they even offer a survival kit for 10 bucks that will warranty your tree you do everything right and it's still you know you get the drought or whatever you still have a warranty morris nursery offers that guys they have starter bundles they have a hardiness zone map on the website morris nursery is my go-to spot for wildlife trees i'll be picking up a load of the oldest trees i can get and bringing them down to a client of mine in iowa and illinois here very soon I think if anybody's interested in cold, hardy trees, tough trees, good genetic trees that have stood the test of time, check out morsenursery.com. We even have a code if you're on Morse Nursery's website, you want to save some money, use code HABITAT10. That's 10% off. We even also offer some dealer pricing. Habitat Pockets, we are a dealer for Morse Nursery. If you're interested in getting a good nursery, or I'm sorry, a good orchard set up on your property, let us know. We'll be happy to help. Guys, check them out. MorrisNursery.com, Habitat 10. My friends over at Exodus have some exciting news. The Exodus crew is now launching the Exodus Vault, a place to lock in significant savings on their website, which is ExodusOutdoorGear.com. Guys, the vault will feature some of your favorite products you haven't even considered checking out yet varying from limited run products to the last chance savings on customer favorites. Right now, the vault features a customer favorite, the Exodus Render. It's kind of like a clear, not, not clearance, but a savings aisle of the store, right? Save $95 on the render while supplies last. I have renders set up on the Northern 70 and down here, both for security and for deer hunting. What I like about them paired with the solar panel is you don't change the batteries ever. So like I'd leave it up all year round. Check it out, $95 on the Exodus render while supplies last. If you wanted to try the render, wanted to add one to your arsenal, and this is the best chance to save money they've offered yet. This will be the final opportunity to purchase the render. This cell camera has the test of time between the five-year warranty, five-year theft damage coverage, and best-in-class customer service. This quickly became a favorite to thousands of trail camera enthusiasts across the country. With the affordable and flexible data plans, unlimited HD images, and a no-glow flash, 
The renderer will provide critical real-time data this scrape week. Another thing, guys, hashtag scrape week coming up. Also, if you miss the lift to the non-cellular camera, this render is an excellent option to get impressive HD video. You have the flexibility of using it as a standard camera or the connected device backed by the five-year warranty. Guys, the Exodus guys have put a lot of thought in this program. I hope you take advantage. Upgrade yourself to a render. I love all the renders that I'm running. Head over to Exodus Gear, exodusoutdoorgear.com. Click the link in the banner. See all the products offered in the vault and lock in the steepest savings of all time while supplies last. There's also a link in the show notes below. Click that link, drive yourself over to exodusoutdoorgear.com with one click and help yourself out. Guys, Exodus Outdoor Gear, great people, awesome products, exceptional customer service. Very proud to call them a partner in the Habitat Podcast. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. So I have a question for you guys. Do you think that you, when when scouting those big areas, like one, th like one thing I would be looking for because of more of the habitat-minded side is like, natural brows. So, I mean, are you, were you looking, cause I think most guys, like, even if you have only hunted a handful of times, you're like, oh, I'm going to try to find an Oak, like, but you could find a lot, hell of a lot of Oaks that aren't dropping acorns, you know, or it's maybe a little bit too late or too early. And it's, it's kind of variable unless you have like a big Oak Ridge or something like that, where there's hundreds of them. But like, were you trying to find any area where like, oh, in this cutover, there's pokeberry that's popping up along this ridge and I can see, you know, or along this edge and I can see brows or greenbrier or anything like that. And were you able to kind of try to hone in on some of that more like native brows that might've been um, key to a success during those hunts? Right. Yeah. So initially I don't take that into account. I'm kind of looking at the big picture, kind of like Sam talked about thinking about looking at a map and thinking, okay, deer will probably be bedded on these points on these winds they're probably coming out of the swamp here, come up to Oaks. And then once I pick an area and then I get in there, we kind of didn't have a lot of time to do that. But once you're in that area, that's when I would start to break down, okay, what Oaks are they focusing on? What brows are they focusing on? Like you said, pokeberries, anything that you can use in your favor, because it is pretty easy to, once you get in there, to start seeing, you know, where the fresh tracks are. Then you pick up the fresh scat where the fresh uh, browse is. So yeah, that's all a huge part of the puzzle. I just start on a on a macro level first before I get there. That's that's a good suggestion. And and I, I would agree more. I think sometimes seeing the deer browse, I've walked in the woods with with quite a few folks, and sometimes noticing that browse pressure on something can be missed. Um, and, and I think 
I, I look for it all the time. It's number, it's part of the whole, what I'm looking for, I guess. But the oaks were so heavy, the second and third spots we hunted. But that first night, we were driving roads and roads and roads. And finally, we got up around by this point, and we saw acorns on the road. It was the first time we've seen them all night. Um, and then we saw another oak acorns on the road and then there was those points that we dropped down. So I think those, that spot was better because I found one big twin oak at the end of this point. And those acorns were all eaten up. There was a little bit of scat there and that I think the secluded oak is more important than the next two nights where, I mean, I could have brought home truckloads of acorns from every step along the way and the deer weren't as when it's concentrated right there, I didn't see much. So to your point, Al, I think uh, the brows and, and noticing some of that would be, for me, it was more along the clear cuts. I saw more of that in the aspen cuts. Yeah. Um, More so than the forbs on these points and whatnot. I remember, Brian, we were dragging my deer out. I said, oh, look at all these acorns. And and you and Drew were like, yeah, that's uh, that's elk scat. Yeah, that's not even. <laughs> I'm like, huh? I was, I was, my mind was racing so much. And I looked down, I'm sure big pile of elk shit right there and i just not used to see that but they did look like acorns in your defense i've never i've never been around elk signs so it was pretty cool to yeah it was cool to kind of kind of see that but uh yeah it was fun it was a great weekend we we had a good time i know um i've been out one time since then the this last weekend i, I passed a nice young eight point on sunday night um no does were in range or they might have got an arrow uh that's kind of where i'm at so far brian have you been on it all since since up north yeah you, you went to you went to camp with that yeah so i i bookended the um michigan trip with a doe yeah. on each side of it uh shot one before i left down there um and then it was real special this past weekend uh albert and i were both in camp the same day and i was able to get a doe down and we got to use the the walk-in cooler that we almost set on fire because we couldn't get oh. it to work but the <laughs> <laughs> we got it all worked out right before the season and we were excited to use it. So yeah. Hey, I got yeah, to that, about that, fire uh, story. Wait, what happened with the fire? No, that, it's huge. No, no. We wanted to us. set it on fire. Yeah. Because oh, okay. it drove us so nuts. We were going to see if that uh, front end loader was going to act as a bulldozer to rip that. <laughs> Ripped that cooler room apart because it it uh it just about wore us out for the last like six months. You know, and we're we've been so busy that we haven't had a ton of time. And we were re a lot of it honestly was research. Um, and it was something stupid. Brian could talk to it, but it's um just an electrical change and, and it was just basically underpowering the the unit. And Brian uh figured it out and, and flipped it, flipped it on and got it to work. And uh it stayed cold for a few days and uh, it was it was just such a sigh of relief because it was cold. I mean, cool in Ohio, but like you wouldn't have wanted to hang a deer. I mean, we would have had to basically quartered up like immediately. Um, maybe after you maybe could hang it for like a couple hours, but other than that, we, we'd have been having to quarter it up. So to be able to rinse that deer out and hang it and just shut the door and be like, okay, now we, you know, where are we going to hunt tonight? It was, um, just a big relief. So quick question, Al, before we get into to your story, saving the best for last here. Um, do you guys normally rinse out deer with water all the time? I always do. Does does a layer of blood help protect anything inside the deer? Brian, I don't know if you remember we were up we we're up north at camp. I for some reason I thought I remembered hearing like a layer of blood will help protect some of the, the meat inside the deer when it's hanging. Not not like you know on the table, but like skin, you you butchered it versus washing it out. Is that 
Am I making crap up here? Over my 30 plus years of hunting now, I've heard it both ways. I've heard people say never put water on deer. And then I've heard people rinse it out. If I have a hose close by or a clean yeah. water source, like we had at camp, I, I wash it out just because. That's the same water I drink. I mean, it's clean. Yeah. You know, I, it's, yeah. So it, I don't know. I, I've heard that too, though. I've heard guys say, so, oh, it'll what, what is that? Like, why am I, you know, like, what is that from? So I'll tell you, like, my backstory is when I was in high school, my buddy's uh, grandpa had passed away, but he butchered um, pigs. So they had a big walk in cooler and he had um, basically the whole setup, like, big butcher's block, this huge, it's, it's freaking awesome. I mean, it's still there, but uh, they basically taught me how they did it and how their grandpa did it. And they would always, rinse the deer out, you know, once they gutted them and they even went a step further, they would skin the deer out as soon as possible and rinse it down and get it in the cooler. Now they would say like, Hey, if, you know, if we're somewhere where we can't get the hide off the deer right away, we'll then maybe keep the hide on for like an insulation factor factor, excuse me, and pack that deer full of ice. Um, but I tell you what, man, since doing that, and like when we would kill a deer and get the hide off right away and rinse that deer down and then get it in a cooler to harden for like at that point, 36 degrees, it could hang for a week or two yeah. weeks even. And then butcher it. Those deer would eat so good. So after doing that, like I just was like, that's that's the way to, to do it. And anytime, you know, a gut job isn't perfect. If you nick something like you go back to the house and you can hang a deer up with good lighting and you can see every, and you can rinse anything and everything out of that deer and then get it either packed full of ice or into a cooler. <clears throat> Maybe there's something about antimicrobial aspect of blood. I don't know, but I'm going to keep doing it that way. It's worked for me for the last 15 plus years. So um, that's where I learned it and where I've continued to, you know, just implement it. I, I'm going to agree with you on that. I We rinse mine out in a, in a Northern Michigan Creek and whether it's, you know, the gut job, whatever, just getting that flushed out with ice cold water. And I mean, everything after we rinsed it out was perfect Deer, you know, everything was great. So I, I've no, I have no problem doing it. I just remembered this little thing in my head. Somebody told me one time who, who knows, I don't recall, but now a Creek in the suburbs of Pittsburgh here, <laughs> I'm not rinsing my deer out in it, but a, but a nice hose at, at Al's place. Yeah, definitely. All yeah. right. Well, speaking of uh, Mr. Al, you guys all know, Al, Vitalized Seed, HP Soil Guy. He's been on here many times. Al, tell us about your season so far. I know you've been waiting to tell this story for a little while now, but. Yeah, no, I I mean, thanks. Um, well, the season's over. I mean, it, it <laughs> came, came in. Well, not really. I mean, I, I have a, so much fun. And <laughs> Screw you. I, I about wear out Brian, I think, with text messages and strategies and planning. No, like, not you. <laughs> I told I told Brian I said, dude, you're probably going to be like, what did I get myself into hanging out with this guy so much? Because it's just like never ending. You'd think a guy who has his buck tag filled would just chill out, but I just I love it. So, um, yeah, you know, I guess this it, the story started last year. Um, you know, one of the things I, I always will tell guys is like, well, I don't claim to be a great hunter, not don't claim to be a good archer, not like I just enjoy hunting whitetail deer, and I try to simplify it. And there's so much information out there. It's like, get deep into the cover. Don't pressure deer. Do, you know, but it's good to pressure deer on this side. If you do have, it's like, what are we supposed to do? You know, so I just try to keep it simple. Um, I have a handful of spots to hunt. I'm very fortunate to have a good friend, Tyler, um, that 
is a workhorse. Like I don't care. The guy kills big deer every single year and has no property of his own. He has probably 500 acres of permission property because he works his ass off knocking on doors and stuff. So I started helping him with a couple properties and then I had a property or two and we started sharing permission spots. And it really allowed us to hunt a lot bigger, a lot smaller properties, larger, you know, so I have a 15 or 20 acre permission spot, say, and then he had a 50 acre spot. So we might have two sets on one and one on the other, you know, we're running cameras and, and seeing, you know, what's where. And on this particular spot I hunted um, and killed my buck this year, there's been a lot of pressure. Um, I had two, bu two bucks that I'd have shot last year there um that were good i mean in the in the 140s 150s range um and both of them were killed before gun season so i mean there's a lot of hunting pressure uh in there um actually tyler killed a buck this year he just called me today and said that the taxidermist said hey so you know there's a 22 round in that deer's neck um went through the deer's skull and went into the deer's neck um so yeah i mean there's there's a lot of pressure um in the area which is frustrating and I, over the years i've had a lot of good deer that i've been kind of waiting on the right time to make a move and then i'm like where'd that deer go you know and it's like just i can't seem to figure out where that deer went nobody i know who's hunting around there killed that deer so where did it go um and sometimes they move you know but obviously there's sometimes can be foul play so last year i was pretty frustrated obviously i didn't kill my buck till january 5th um but uh this particular deer ironically i had passed a bunch of times and he looked pretty nice last year and i'm thinking he was i thought he was a three-year-old last year he was pretty wide but he did have a big body so i did send the teeth into deer age just because i'm kind of a nerd and i'm curious um because his body was so big this year when i actually got up onto him um so last year i passed him a whole bunch of times i took some video of him making scrapes and he was just a really wide um eight point but really skinny uh, ironically enough, when we all talked last time, kind of right before the season started, I had said, Hey, my buddy Tyler just sent me a picture of a really good buck. And I can't remember if we were recording yet. It was right before or after. Um, and I said, Oh, I had passed that deer last year. And, oh man, he blew up. And that must've been like in August maybe. And, um, about a month later, you know, the story goes, he was just, honestly, some deer just want to die. And that deer was showing up really regular I kind of, of course, as Sam says, you sandbag. Sam had me laughing. He's like, don't worry, we're used to it with you. But I just, <laughs> I, I didn't want to like jinx it. Um, but the deer was just showing up so frequently. And that's an understatement. I, I get mean, a text was, message. That that buck has showed up six out of the seven last nights. So I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm going to go in after him or not. <laughs> well, I was, I, I was in, I'm in, like, in, get your butt in there. In, <laughs> and in all fairness, I mean, he was a deer that, I even showed my wife, you know, I'm like, Hey, Jim, what do you, you know, he looks pretty good in this picture, but in another picture, I'm like, you know, I wasn't a hundred percent sure. And I think it's not so big. Steaming. And I showed my wife, my, Oh, did the internet freeze on you guys? Well, you guys you're, you're good. Keep going. Oh, sorry. I think it broke up there, but so I showed my wife and she's like, it was like three days before season. She's like, I don't know. That's pretty, that's pretty big buck, which I know she'll tell me like, because I've showed her deer before. And she's like, pickier than I am. I'm getting ready to put her in a stand, you know? And, uh, <laughs> she's like, that's a pretty big buck. So I'm like, okay. And then I text Brian and Brian's like, I go, I don't think I could pass this deer. What do you think? And he's like, no, <laughs> you know, just like pretty simple, straightforward. 
So then I said, okay, I'm going to go in uh, Saturday. And I was feeling pretty confident. I actually told my wife, I said, I'm going to kill that deer. Um, I told the landowner, I said, I'm going to uh, kill that deer Saturday. Of course, nothing goes without uh, frustration about, I think it was one or two days before I hunted that deer. One of the neighbors was having tree trimming done. And uh, some guys decided to take a walk right where I was getting that deer on camera. So then like for one night, he doesn't show up after that because they basically, I think they walked like right through where he was bedding. So then I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And now I've decided I want to kill this deer. And now, you know, um, but honestly, it kind of was uneventful. I got into the stand early. Um, I think I got in it like three or three thirty. So I got in really early because I didn't want to take any risk of if he was close or something, um, you know, of, of bumping him or getting in too late or bumping a doe. Um, and I had seen some does had been in there around 430 was probably the earliest. Um, so I got in. I think I saw every deer in a square mile except that buck. Um, it was like really crazy. There was actually an old vitalized food plot there um, that had been carbon load the previous year. And because of the crazy drought this year, we didn't get to plant it again. Um, so the owner had just kind of bush hogged it. Uh, but there was still a lot of clover in there as well as apples. Um, so this, there's a bunch of apple trees there. They were like, I think I texted Brian. I said, man, if one of these apples hits me in the head, I'm in trouble because they were hitting the ground so hard. Um, and I think the biggest thing that was super interesting about this deer. So I'm sitting down, the wind's hitting me right in my face and everything's working out perfect. I've seen a pile of deer. I'm like, okay, it's a good night. I'm looking at my uh, phone clock and I'm like, all right, it's about 6.30. I knew that if, if he was going to show up, it was going to be between like 6.45 and 7.15. It was like, that's kind of the window he was showing up. And uh, I could hear deer back in this thicket behind me. And out comes this little three-year-old, real nice looking deer. Um, I think I had seen him earlier in the night, a little bit a ways up. And um, basically every deer, although they came from multiple directions, some from the east, some from the west, some from the north, um, some from the south even, they basically came from all four directions, but they all stayed on very similar trails, except that buck. It was really interesting to see. So he came with the wind basically in his face, but I was a little bit downwind of him from where he was coming. So he was basically coming with the wind in his face really slowly. Um, and then every other deer just pops into this lane. That deer stops and goes behind my stand and stops at, behind this apple tree. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Like every other deer comes out right in this trail, like that came from that direction, pops out in this trail right in front of me. I'm downwind the whole time. Like it works perfectly, except that deer. He stopped. It's there's not even a deer trail there. Like it's like I looked at it like the next day or a couple of days later, I went back because I was like, I gotta look at that trail. There isn't a deer trail there. Like it just that was his trail he, it, where he would step out. So then he stepped out and uh that other buck was kind of standing there and kind of getting nervous and stuff. And he came right at that other buck pretty aggressively. And uh, yeah, I mean, he was 12 yards. Um, and when I looked down at him, when he started coming around that tree, I was like, oh, that's a no doubt shooter like that. He looked a lot better than he did on trail camera. Um, and his body size when compared to the other three-year-old that was there um, was just like, like David and Goliath, you know, I'm like, holy cow. So I drew back and went to shoot him. 
and he decides to ram the other buck with his antlers while I'm at full draw at like 12 yards. So that was kind of a little bit hectic just because, you know, the woods are quiet and everything's quiet and you're just kind of sitting there. It's just like, wham, and they hit and I'm at full draw and they're so close. And now I'm trying to resettle the pin and everything. But um, he stopped for a second and kind of looked up after he did that. And the other deer was like all skittish, like, is he going to do that again? And um at that point, I just let him have it and felt really good about the shot. You know, I I always tell people, like, if you can see that water, if you took a glass of water and threw it up in the air, you know, and you can kind of see that water make that almost like rainbow shape, you know, it kind of, or like bubble shape out. When you see that come out of the deer from the pressure of the lungs forcing that blood out versus like just dribbling down the side, when you see that force of blood out, it looks like if you threw a cup of water you know, as far as the shape goes, that's always a really good sign in my opinion. And that's definitely what I saw. I mean, it was right behind the shoulder. I saw blood dumping out of him and I was like, and I only could watch him for 12 yards. Maybe it's it's really tight quarters. So basically I watched him for 12 yards, but I never heard him crash. So as always when in doubt, you know, try to back out. So I backed out, went to the truck. I called my cousin, Zach. I was texting, well, Brian was hunting actually. So I was texting Brian texting you guys, called Jared, or Jared, you called me, I missed it, I called you back, um, tracked the deer for 130 yards, steady blood, I mean, really, really steady blood, but still was like, son of a gun, like, I, I don't understand what's happening, like, this deer isn't dead yet, and the blood was, I mean, just good bubbles in it, like, I'm like, this deer is, definitely, it's in the lungs, and uh, I did, we did find the arrow, and I could see that there was, like, um, it broke off when he kicked back his front side shoulder. But I mean, I had at least 14 inches of penetration. I mean, it basically it hit the offside shoulder. So I backed out a second time and waited for a buddy of, of mine to get there. So gave it like another hour and went back in. And that deer went a, about another 50 yards from where I stopped. And uh, he never did lay down. He just ran almost 200 yards in a dead straight line. And then you could just tell he just he just died, died running. Like he, he never bedded down anything. And um, yeah, it was just an amazing experience. And he's a pretty darn good buck. And I'm, one I'm happy with, like I always tell people, I'm like with a two-year-old at home, there's no way I'm passing that buck. One buck state, eight buck state. I don't care. Like I'm just not going to pass that buck. And it's uh, <clears throat> it's been pretty cool to do it on opening day. Um, again, I guess it's been pretty been pretty lucky. Dude, great story. I I purposely didn't hear the story until now because I didn't want to know any of the details. I wanted to hear the, the actual story. That's that's amazing. A lot more exciting than I than I thought it would be for just a, a buck that you had patterned. And to say that, you know, you're happy with a deer and you got the two-year-old at home and this and that. Dude, that deer's a giant. It's a great buck. Yep. That's a yeah, great no buck. doubt. I, I don't know anybody who would pass that deer. No, yeah, I, I called Al the next day to to uh, talk about it. And, uh, you know, he sent that trail camera picture out and it looked like what I noticed more was it was just a big body, a mature deer. And I was like, oh, the rack is is nice. It's a nice wide eight pointer. And when he took those trophy pictures, you know, with him behind, standing behind, I was like, holy crap, that deer is way bigger than I thought. And I told him that oh, yeah. and he said, yeah, that's what everyone was saying. You know, and I know it's hard when you, when you walk up to that buck the, the night of and you try to get a good picture. It's just so hard to do it by yourself. Yeah. And you know, before they're pulled out of brush and everything. So we were kind of getting half rack pictures and all that the night of, but man, when he pulled it out and, and, uh, in all his glory, he was, he was a monster. So congrats, buddy. That was awesome. 
Well, thank you. Yeah, he ended up weighing gutted. Uh, he the scale was tipping between like 196 and 198 pounds gutted, which is by far the biggest deer I ever killed. Um, I killed a five and a half year old in 2021 off the farm. Now that was November 3rd, so he was with the doe. He could have been, and that deer was 186 gutted, and that was a big. I mean, he was a big body deer. Um, but this year, what was weird is he was not real long. Like he was like short frame, but I mean, just a cow of a buck. I mean, absolute massive, massive body. And um, yeah, I mean, he was one of those deer where I just felt like I had to make a move on that deer early. Um, and I think that's something with some small properties. You know, sometimes when you're hunting these smaller properties, we hear it's it's so hard because you don't want to pressure. Like we always hear like pressure, pressure, pressure. But if a deer is showing you the right signs, you know, make the move. You know what I mean? It, it's it's like hard to to discern like what's pressure and what's getting in there and just killing them, you know? And I, I think sometimes, especially early season, it's like 80 degrees. Those deer are kind of like still in summer patterns like they don't really know what's going on and you see a lot of guys who are killing really big deer before halloween even i mean and i think sometimes that has to has a lot to do with that kill them on that summer pattern and you know get a little bit risky because even if you bump them one there's probably not a ton of other guys in the woods and two it's so early in the season those deer on small properties, somebody could mow their lawn, could be having a bonfire, could be shooting fireworks off from the 4th of July. Like, you know, like there's so much activity in the summertime and that drastically changes from October 15th to November 15th. I mean, I don't know what the chart looks like, but I would imagine that it, the outside activity throughout the Whitetails range dr dramatically decreases. Crops are off, like whether it's super rural or not, guys aren't running chainsaws and in, in cutting firewood anymore. That's all, but like everything's past that. Most people are just kind of hanging out watching football who don't hunt and hunters are in the woods. So I think that's one of the things on a larger scale that really impacts those deer's movement. Plus testosterone levels are up and things like that. But those early season opportunities when a deer's showing a pattern, um, I know I've missed a lot of those opportunities because I kept, I want to wait for this you know, for this, I want to see what else shows up. And it's like, that was stupid. I should have just went in, the deer was showing up at it, and I should have just killed the sucker. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens in the future. But for anybody out there, um, that would be my tip. Like I said, I'm no freaking, not a good hunter, not a good archer, but I just enjoy the hell out of it. And if you do have those things that are showing up, um, sometimes it's worth taking a, taking a crack at them. Yeah, I'll, I'll think I'll, I'll add to that. Um, we always talk about pressure right and and i think the smaller the property the more you have to consider that and for the for for most people talking about pressure and being careful about pressure is important like even though what you just said you're still very careful about pressure um in general right but again to your point about everybody watching football and and being kind of you know out of the woods well the the opposite effect or i guess the the other side of that 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 comment would be all the hunters are now in the woods too, right? Like November 1st, who do you know that's not hunting? Yeah, exactly. exactly. So I've, I've also learned that October is the time to kill them around here because you wait till November while everybody else is on their vacation now. Yep. Everybody around me is in the woods, including me, and the deer, and then that's pressure. And the deer, you know, so to your point, getting them, getting the surprise on them, get a little more aggressive in October if you have multiple spots to hunt. 
um if you know if your property is big enough to to accept a screw up or two um yeah i'm i'm learning that that is very advantageous Al. now i will say one caveat to that whole story was that deer was in there probably not as frequently but he was in there in the morning quite a few times okay so i had a feeling he was bedded he was bedded pretty close right <clears throat> and i was talking with some buddies and like I was kind of like, I think I'm going to go in there in the morning. I think I'm going to go in there in the morning. And this is where I think trail cameras can be so beneficial is really pay attention to the timestamps. Don't just use trail cameras as like inventory collection, you know, because it's so easy just to go through them, whether it's a cell camera or whatever, you're busy, you're, you're with your kids, you're running late to a doctor appointment. You're just like, oh, buck, buck. oh, look, buck, cool, big buck. But like, take the time because I made the decision. Now, maybe it wouldn't have mattered. But in my mind, it did. Like, I made the decision. I'm like, I'm not hunting opening morning. I'm not going to push that deer if he's in there, out of there. I'm going to wait. He's been showing a pattern in the evening. Maybe somebody kills him a half a mile away opening morning. I'll take that chance. But what I'm not going to do is go in there and kick him in the ass out of his bed in the morning, even though I had him there. Because I just wasn't confident enough. How close is he betting? You know, and it's I just wasn't confident enough with that. So that's where, yes, I went in there early season, but I think that's where that managing pressure, like you're talking about, Jared, comes in. Like you're still cognizant, like you're not going in there like a bull in the china shop, but you're also like, when, when you're going in there, you're going in there with an intent to kill too. You're not going in there like, I'm just going to go see what shows up. Like That might be nice if you have a bonus spot to, that has a lot of dozers, like that's cool. But um, those would just be, like I said, some of the things that I've picked up over the last few years as I've gotten a little bit more um serious about killing deer and felt like a lot of my younger career was more just like go out and hunt you know the kind of old-fashioned sit in the woods with a during rifle season with a gun on your lap or you know I bow hunted a lot but it was not I'm all self-taught essentially so it was a lot of um just like yeah going out and sitting and what happens you know type of thing and over the last you know several years things have gotten progressively um, better for me. And it's through a lot of those tactics, being cognizant of pressure, but not scared of it, I guess is, is my rambling point. I yeah. So it's, so it's calculated. I mean, everything's risky, but it's a calculated risk. And you hit the nail on the head with just being on that off wind, just knowing that, knowing what tree to be in, because I, I just heard somebody talk about it. it. You think about it in the simplest terms, a mature buck gets up and out of his bed and walks by hundreds if not thousands of trees you just have to be in the right one and have the access to get in and out now getting out's a little trickier they can pick you up overnight they can pick up your ground scent that's that kind of stuff you're never going to be able to control but being calculated like you talked about having a bulletproof access striking when the wind's right striking when the conditions are right that's a calculated risk worth taking and it paid off for you obviously yeah, yeah i'm hoping that some of these some of the the listeners who are listening might have uh, a similar situation where they're they, they hear this or they got some some bucks just starting to show up in daylight and maybe get out there this weekend and, and make something happen. I know I, I sent you guys that 10 point this morning that showed up for the first time in daylight. Um, the wind is not good for that stand, which is why he was there. Right. He knew nobody was in that tree. Um, I'll be there tomorrow morning. So I'm same conditions. He'll probably bust me or he won't show. But it but the wind will be in his favor. And he is starting a pattern. Hopefully, we'll see. I mean, you got you got to strike while the iron's hot, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you got to hunt them where they're at. You know, it's right. like I I think of last year when you guys had Greg on. You know, Brian's got to know Greg more, and he's just 
one of my very best friends in the whole world. And he's just a great guy. And, um, you know, he killed that big buck last year and it's like, he knew the deer was there and the deer was coming into a food plot that he had planted of, of, uh, it was actually, um, primarily nitro boost. And he just broadcasted into it because the deer was coming in there so regularly all summer long. I'm pretty sure he didn't even dis, he normally dis a little bit and then use a no-till drill on that piece. I think he'll, he'll probably correct me, um, if I'm wrong. Or the corn planter. And yeah, or is, but he's been borrowing uh, the one guy's no-till a lot. Okay. And I think that he left some of the nitro boost there and then just no-till drill through some of it because he knew it was like that deer is coming into the beans and the peas and everything that's in there. Regardless of that, he was seeing this deer like every night. And I had, I remember I was with my wife coming home from California because I had a trade show that year, which would have been last year in California. And I was getting on a plane about to, or yeah, about to take off because we had a connection. So it had been like seven o'clock back home and got a text and he's like, dude, I just shot that deer and he's dead. And I was like, I told him the day before, I'm like, dude, you're going to kill that deer. Like I felt so confident for him because he had good access and the deer had been in there all, like there was no reason for, for that deer not to show up. He hadn't gone so in. Why, why wait till mid-October? Why wait till November or whatever, right? Get in there. Well, if you, if it's a deer you're happy with, like, I don't know why when I was younger, I kept, kept thinking, like, I didn't know what I thought a leprechaun was going to show up with a pot of gold for me or something. Like, I don't know what I was waiting for. <laughs> and I think that's something like, I get, I have more fun strategizing with like Brian and my cousin Zach's going to be hunting a little bit and like my buddy Tyler and stuff like then Tyler tagged out. So it's like, I have just as much fun talking about all that as like killing one myself. So if I'm, if I can kill a deer, I'm happy with like, that's awesome. And I think that's hopefully for some of the listeners, they take a little something away from this. You know, there's so much strategy out there. Um, Bill Winky just did a really good video on it. And he was talking about how he's very fortunate. He lives on his farm. He has a huge farm in, what is it, Sam? Western Iowa? Northeast Iowa, right? Northeast Iowa. Yeah. I know Sam. So I've been watching a lot of his. And he's talk, talking. He's like, you know, if, it, if my situation was different, maybe I'd be more aggressive now, you know, October 1st. But he's like, I can kind of set back and let those deer get comfortable, really get a good inventory of what's there. And then go in and move a blind or whatever he needs to do and kill him. And he's like, I mean, guy's a legend. He's literally the goat. But he like talks just about it, how if your situation's not like that, you have a full-time job, family, whatever, um, and a deer showing a good pattern, uh, I think it's strike while the iron's hot. I tell you, I think next year, I already told Brian this, I think I'm going to take a few days off right in the beginning of the season and hunt three or four days, evenings only, probably, unless I have a deer um pattern in the morning uh activity and try to kill a deer early season because how many brian how many shooters are out of we have several but i mean there was two to four that the first two three days of season and they're in daylight on different yeah. parts of the farm yep. so yeah, it's a, it, it's a, it's an effective situation early season like jared mentioned before they get uh any type of pressure and any type of humans done in there and they're just kind of going about their summer pattern so yeah, good strategy. But then at the same time, you know, we've had deer show up since, and I'm like, oh, I kind of wish I had a text, <laughs> you know. But but at the same time, that's why I I tell guys if you're going to do it, definitely make sure um, it's a buck that you're you're really happy with. Well, I'm looking at your picture of this buck right here, and uh, you look pretty happy. And uh, how how what was that inside spread on that deer? Just about 22 inches. 
Yeah. Awesome. And his, his tip to tip was, oh, I'm probably going to get this wrong. I can't remember if it was 19 or 20. I think it was 19 and three quarters. You told me. I don't remember. But I think it was 19 and three quarters, his tip to tip, because he barely goes in. So he just looks yeah, he just really, really yeah. wide. And yeah. I didn't take any mass measurements or anything. Um, but even at this time of year, his neck measurement, I think, was 21 and change. Wow. So, I mean, for imagine what it would have looked like in the just rut. An old boy. Yeah, just a big old boy. Like, no no question. I mean. Yeah, yeah. Maybe so, some guys in Iowa would let that deer go for the, you know, the 12 point they're chasing or something. But other than that, dude, I don't know anybody who passed that deer. Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, like I say, in, in a in a one buck state, you always have a little bit of this hesitation. But not, I mean, when I, in trail cameras, it was very easy to be like, oh, I don't know, you know. But when I saw him in person, honestly, the thing that caught my eye was not his width, not his body size. It was just the mass of his main beams. When I saw the mass of his main beams, when I was looking down, now he was at like eight yards when he was coming around me. I'm drawing like, that's when I said, okay, yeah, I have to, I'm nuts not to shoot this deer. So at least for me, you know, like you said, there's guys out there, man, there's so many good deer hunters out there who are a hell of a lot better than me. And they might look at that deer and be like, eh. But to me, I was very, very happy with that deer. It was a crazy track job. You know, that's one other tip I'll give guys. Not that I need to be giving any tips, but one learning experience for me was my buddy Tyler helped me track and get that deer out. And he highlighted, and you know, you're just jacked up. You got that adrenaline dump. Like you don't, don't think straight. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man, like looking down at the blood and all this. And he's like, dude, look here. And there was literally blood, like, three three and a half foot up in this uh on this sapling and he goes you definitely are in the lungs one we could see the bubbles you know in the blood on the ground but like what you know the deer wasn't running through jumping up in the air like it was halfway through the track and we started noticing that and i'm like oh you're right coming out of his mouth right he's blowing that blood out of his mouth there's still good blood all over the ground and then it was something where i'm like i should have picked that up but when you're jacked up on adrenaline it's it's hard to slow down, but especially if you're tracking by yourself, that might be one good tip is like, sit down, look at your phone, read a funny story. Do You know what I mean? Like try to get yourself because it'll help you to be able to think more clearly um, and pick up on some of those kind of nuanced details of the track. Great yeah, I mean, there, there's four guys on this call right now and three of them knew for certain that that deer was dead and al was the only one questioning himself <laughs> granted he's the only one there and we're getting pictures of bloody butt blood piles of her uh you know uh blood piles with with bubbles in them you know i mean it just looked like and he you know he said i think i double lunged it the arrow was stuck in the offside shoulder like it's dead deer man i don't know what what you're so worried about but i know i know the feeling you start second guessing yourself as soon as that arrow is released and uh you need somebody to calm me down and talk rationally to you but yeah. Uh, congratulations again. I mean, a couple more takeaways. First of all, going full circle to my, my trail cam story at the beginning where these deer show up for seven days and then disappear. Striking when that, that seven-day window is crucial. I mean, you don't know what the next seven days is going to bring. So, I mean, uh, absolutely get after them right away. Don't wait for the next cold front. Don't wait for whatever. You know, I mean, if they're daylight and go for it. Um, second of all, I know, Al, we talked about this the day after is there's so much information out there with people saying absolutely don't ever hunt mornings during the October. Don't don't really go out there till October 20th. That's when it really gets gets popping. I mean, we're just overthinking things. I feel like the deer showing up, go kill them, and that's and that's the bottom line. Um, and then third, we, we kind of glance past it, but this spot, from what I hear, 
the apple trees and the soft mass at this spot. I mean, that's a, that's what we're trying to recreate on my farm in some areas. And I know, Jared, you've done the same. It's everyone's planting these trees and wondering, you know, is this going to be worth it? And I feel like that's the time right there at that beginning of the season when those apple trees are there. That's going to hold those deer and suck them in like crazy. And it sounds like that guy was bedded there habitually year after year. Uh, was he there all season or just in the early season, Al, last year? No, I think, I mean, I had him, I think the one video I sent to you guys was, I looked it up, it was like November 18th last oh, year wow. yeah. so he was there and then he might have disappeared late season um but uh but yeah you're you're right sam and i mean i think that's a really good point about when you're thinking about hey i'm gonna put apple trees in this spot or that spot if your goal is to hunt over that soft mass or pears or whatever like you want to think is this a spot where i can get in and out of is it if it's for hunting right and again like you said, there's so much information out there and that goes to what's the goals of your farm? You know, how do you, do you want to, you know, do you have enough land to really focus on? Are you hunting at all of it? Do you want some of it that's just kind of sanctuary? You know, that's one thing Brian and I've talked about. There are fields that we don't even have a tree stand on. I'm like, I just want that sucker planted and I have apple trees on the edge of it. And I want deer to be able to go in there, feed, bet. And I, hell, there's some nights I'd send Brian a picture. I go, Hey, look at how many deer there six deer bedded in the food plot and you know two of them are up eating it's like there there's no pressure but we're in a very fortunate situation with the amount of property so i think to your point and then taking that one step further into the context of your hunting situation you know like yeah, think about huge. those things yeah because i've got i've got friends that i'll share some pictures with and they're like why don't you go kill that buck i'm like because this isn't your 20 acre farm that we're used to hunting around here this is a three to 400 acre farm where these deer behave completely different. So you have to approach it situationally. Like you mentioned now, it's very important to understand that. Well, I like what, what Sam mentioned there with the, the apple trees and the mass. Um, that has to be part of why that buck was living there. I mean, and Al, you said careful about where you plant them, right? Like the 15 acres. I was talking about this. I got a picture. The first thing we did was plant apple trees on that 15 acres about 25 yards in front of where I was going to put a, a, a tower blind, which I did. I got a picture of my little two-year-old girls, and I got a picture this year with apples in the tree and the girls. That's awesome. You know, or last year, they were, you know, seven or eight at that time. And um, this year, the new owner, I see him at basketball practice. His daughter's on the same team as mine. And he's like, yeah, I passed this nice eight point last night. I'm like, oh, yeah? Let me see. You know, and he showed me, he came out, walked across the entire property, ate apples at 25 yards in front of that blind. I'm like, but boom, there you go. Oh, that's awesome. It's like, so to your point about the mass and where you plant it, all this stuff weighs in on it for sure. And it's cool to hear um, some of the success you're having, Al, with with just certain certain triggers and certain key points that maybe folks can take away from this for their own property. So, Well, I think one other thing I'll add, and I was talking with, you guys know Danny and Zach and both really both good on hunters. the podcast. Yep. Yeah, both both really good deer hunters and, and very good uh stewards to the land, you know, and one of the things that I think all of us on this podcast are very fortunate with, and a lot of listeners might, might not be, is to Sam's point of like, you got a deer that shows up on camera, you know, you got a cell camera, it sends you a pic or whatever, and you're like, oh man, that deer shows up. Like we have relatively flexible jobs. You know, we have a lot of vacation time and can be like, hey, I tomorrow afternoon, boss, man, I got to take a couple hours of vacation. And like, like Sam did last year, you know, drove two and a half hours to his farm, got in there and killed Uno, you know, and, and that's a really hard thing to do. Um, if you have a, a property you have to commute to, 
number one. Um, you know, if you don't have a property that you live on, if you don't have a property that's 10 minutes from 20 minutes from the house, like, so again, all of the things that we're talking about, I just want to add that for context. I don't want people to, you know, think, I want people to realize that their situation might be a little bit different. They might not be able to say, you know, hey, I got a buck showing up. Now, mine was on a Saturday this year, but like there's been other times where, you know, I've saved my vacation time and that week or, or two that I'm trying to hunt sucks. The weather sucks. The wind's swirling. Last year, you know? right? And, yeah. and, you know, so I, I share that with guys because like now I'm in a position with, with my job where like, if something happened and I had a deer showing up, like, I'd be like, Hey, I'm going like Wednesday afternoon, unless I have a massive meeting, I can't change. Like I'm going to go hunt. I'm going to use, you know, and I have that flexibility to be able to use that kind of uh, float vacation time type of thing. Um, so that's a really big benefit to be able to kind of be able to do that. And I just like to highlight that because I know a lot of guys um, who don't have that. And you might have to adjust your strategies a little bit, you know, if you're only hunting certain days or whatnot. Right? Yeah, that's that's good to expand on that context. And, and Jared and I try to reiterate this regularly on the podcast, you know, hunt your own hunt. Don't compare your bucks on your property to what Al's shooting or what Jared's shooting or Sam's shooting. Obviously, Set whatever goals you want. If you want to try to chase big bucks, chase big bucks. If you want to shoot a two-year-old, do that. Just just keep it fun and keep it in context. Like Al said, don't compare yourself to what this guy's shooting, what this guy's seeing. Just keep it fun and uh, you know, keep your goals realistic for where you're at. Well yeah, said, people. Brian. The next deer I shoot will definitely fit inside Al's deer. So I can't wait, and I'll be proud of it when I when I get that deer on the ground. So great point, though. I mean, yeah, it's a home you know, run point. Great. I mean, I, I'll just say this: no matter how much we hunt, there isn't there's no competition. There's no awards getting being given you between have, us four. There's definitely not. Never has been, which is nice. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's what it makes it fun. Like I hate. I don't. I've never been like a trash talking type. Of, I just that's not it, like really my style. Whether it was in the football locker room, like it's just not how I operate. Um, but at the end of the day, no matter how good you get in deer hunting or what archer, there's somebody out there who's going to be better. There's going to be a Ben Rising who's shooting two 200 inches a year. You know, there's going to be a Mark Drury or a Lee Lakoski or, you know, if you own 200 acres and you think it's a lot and, you know, you puff your chest, I own this much. There's somebody out there who owns 20,000. Like, so again, adding that context is like, there's a lot of people who have it worse and there's a lot of people who have it better and just enjoy that. Enjoy the time with your family, your friends, whoever you enjoy that hunting with. And, um, you know, if it's a deer you're happy with and it's it worked out and your tactics were good and you, you put your plan together, freaking enjoy it because it doesn't happen that often. It really doesn't. And um, even the best guys at this, it's like, it doesn't happen that often. So just enjoy that. Um, you know, in that moment. Well said. Well said, boys. That's it. I'm going to wrap it right there. Good luck to you guys this weekend, Sam. I expect to see a deer hanging on the pole. All hopefully, right. Hopefully I can join you. And uh, Brian, I know you got some antler antler stew coming up here soon. So can't wait to, to see what you lay down. So are you guys? Yeah, Al, Al's got his hands full now. He's tagged out and he's like, we're going to strategize. He's He's got a he's got a big undertaking here with this guy. <laughs> No, we're gonna we're gonna get it done. Big streak to break. We're gonna get it done. Yeah, I'm gonna blindfold on him and spin him around about seven times and shove him in the right direction. Now we have a lot of fun and we have a lot of good strategy going. And oh, it's gonna happen. I'm, we're gonna get on some deer. We're it's gonna, a matter of time for sure. Yeah, we're gonna get on some deer for sure. 
Well, thank you, boys. Great conversation. That was awesome. And uh, good luck to all the listeners out there this weekend. Let us know if you shoot something. You have any feedback? Instagram, Facebook, hit us up. We'll share the share the info and love to hear from you guys. So, thanks again, boys. Good luck this weekend. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you very much for listening to the Habitat Podcast, guys. We will be back with another great episode next week. I just want to say once again how grateful we are for the listenership we have and. The, the loyal listeners you guys have been and supporters of the podcast. For those of you who want to support further, we have free decals being sent out to those who leave us great reviews. Scroll down, hit the link to leave a great review, and then email me info at habitatpodcast.com. I'll get you a free five-inch decal in the mail right away. Guys, I want to thank our sponsors. Vitalize Seed Company at vitalizeseed.com. Exodus Outdoor Gear, Packer Max Cultipackers, Morse Nursery, Acres.com, Downburst Cedars, First Light, United Country Midwest Lifestyle Properties. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.